Norm MacDonald, one time I heard him say, you know, being alive is the best gig there is. You can go to Denny's, you can wear a hat, whatever you want. It wasn't a joke, he just made the comment and I thought it struck me as one of the funniest things I've ever, ever heard, that that was his apex of what it means to be alive. Being alive is the best gig there is. You can go to Denny's, wear a hat, whatever you want. But no, he's right. Being alive is incredible. Yes. It's amazing. Life itself, just raw, unadorned, nothing special, not like a special life, not a unique life, not an adventurous life, not some big heroic life. Just ordinary life itself is the best gig there is. And, we, and if we take it for granted, stuff starts to really go wrong. Romans chapter 1, Paul says that God has made himself known to everyone. And then he says, well, you can just flip there real quick and you'll see what I'm saying is true. He says, but since people didn't glorify God as God, nor give thanks to God, their futile hearts, our futile hearts were darkened and our thinking became unproductive and instead of worshiping and serving the creator we started to make things to worship and serve that were dead and lifeless and because we worshiped and served those dead lifeless things we started to become dead and lifeless because you always become like what you worship why i don't know but it's true and and look look at that that's the wildest thing you would say, well, what is God after? What is it that, that went wrong? And he's like, glorify God as God, give thanks. Give, what do you mean? The fall of man, the thing wrong with the planet, the wor- what's, why is human history so dark? We didn't give thanks? For, for what? Existence, breath. We didn't glorify, we didn't say a big old heartfelt thank you. As if, as, as if we started to feel entitled to life. Life itself. I heard a comedian say that when Wi-Fi was new on the airplane, they came out with an announcement. You know, they're doing their routine. I'm here's how you fasten a safety belt. Welcome to flight such and such. We're happy that you're with us today. And if you give your attention to the center of the aisle, we'll be doing a detailed safety instruction for you. And if you're seated along these wings, then you'll know that you are dedicated so-and-so. And when in the case of an emergency, you're going to have to help other people get off the plane into these inflatable rafts. Don't scream. And they do that whole thing. And then they say, for your convenience, we now have Wi-Fi on the airplane. And everyone's like, oh, Wi-Fi on the airplane. What's the password? And they put in their little password, and they're like, I have Wi-Fi. They got, the, the guy said, not five minutes later, they get up. I'm sorry, we're experiencing some sort of difficulty, and the Wi-Fi doesn't appear to be working well. And the kid next to him is like, this is bullcrap. <laughs> you just found out it existed five minutes ago, and now you're entitled to it and angry when it doesn't go exactly how you thought it would? You just found out it existed, fi- I'm going to say it again, five minutes ago, and now you're entitled. And if it doesn't happen the way you thought, you didn't earn it. 
You didn't deserve it, but you're furious you didn't get it. Guys, every day is Christmas bonus. Days are, your days are not a wage, you're paid. You don't deserve to live today. That sounds harsh to say, doesn't it? You guys forfeited your right to life a long time ago. Everyone in the room deserves to die because you're sinners. I am too. The Bible's so clear that we're all guilty of things worthy of death. And here we are, breathing. And not only does God not kill us, He loves us. He loves us. He's so far from treating you as your sins deserve. Today is such a big gift. It's such a big kiss. It's such a big hug. Not a special life, not a wealthy life, not an easy life. I'm just talking about bare, simple, standard issue life. It's the best gig there is. You can go to Denny's, wear a hat, whatever you want. Let me ask you some questions here. What's the meaning of life? Don't just speak. Raise your hand, please. Okay, fine. Just speak. I heard somebody murmur. Was it you? Asked this question myself. What's the meaning of life? Hmm. That's, that, that helps you sound smart. That's a, that's a hack. When you're in a conversation and you want to sound smart, just repeat the question. I'm serious. Sam, to enjoy what you like doing. Comment one. Who else? What's the meaning? Okay, Bunny is saying, okay. To live for Jesus. To spread Jesus' word. 42. Now, that's an inside joke that I know, so I'll explain, because inside jokes make people feel excluded, I've noticed. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they build a supercomputer to try to answer the question, what's the meaning of life? And the supercomputer has to be so big that it's like the size of a planet, right? And they they wait thousands and thousands of years for it to run through all the processing to figure out, to calculate the answer to the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. And then they are like, oh, and they all stand before it in special clothing, and they come up, and it spits out the answer, 42. And they're like, what? We waited thousands of years for this. This is a jip. What the heck? The meaning of life changes in seasons. I'm constantly asking this question. You, so you're saying the meaning of life changes as you go through life's seasons. Okay, so you're saying your understanding of the meaning of life changes. I heard Brian Cox, a, a physicist, say that it's very unlikely there's intelligent life anywhere else in our little galaxy not necessarily the universe, but our galaxy. And when you think about how incredibly precious and rare, how incredibly precious and rare life is, he says it makes you, makes you realize we're the only meaning in this particular galaxy. Now, he's not a Christian, but it's so interesting to hear, 
him. He goes, you know, scientists don't ever talk about meaning. And I go, well, yeah, that's not their job. That's not their job. Their job is to study how things work. But he says humans make meaning, and humans can't help but see meaning and live for meaning. Let me read you some scripture, and then I'm going to tell you about the Hadza tribe in Tanzania and how they answered that question, what's the meaning of life? This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, the entire chapter. So just buckle in, take a deep breath, and get into second grade, no, first grade, when your teacher would start reading to you, and she would read for a full hour. Just get into that mode. Don't fall asleep. Put your imagination hat on. Deuteronomy chapter 8, listen to God's word. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, in order to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and springs gushing out into valleys and hills. It's a land with wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates and olive oil and honey. It's a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you've eaten and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Wealth. Let me try that again. It's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth 
and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. This is God's word. I'm going to read Proverbs 37 and 19. You'll see the theme right away. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far away from me. And two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. Hosea 13, 6, but when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. Guys, being alive, that's the best gig there is. You can go to Denny's, you can wear a hat, whatever you want. Come on, moon's over my hammy. Amazing. So a Westerner visited the Tanzanian tribe of the Hadza. The Hadza are the last hunter-gatherer tribe. You know what a hunter-gatherer tribe is? means they don't, they don't plant gardens and fields. They don't have a consistent means of having the ground produce a bunch of food so they have a surplus and then they have storage. It means if daddy don't get no kill today, we don't know what we're going to eat today. So they were asked the question, what is the meaning of life? What do you guys think the Hadza, hunter-gatherers, said the meaning of life is? Oh, you are smarter than me. Both y'all said survive. You're smarter than me. Say it again. Man, y'all are ahead of the curve. You're, you're winning at this game. Uh, that's uh, four points for Gryffindor. So he was asked, what's the meaning of life? Translator. Man, translator, meat. Is there more of an answer? Meat? Meat is the meaning of life? Then he says this, we need meat and honey and water. Then we are happy. That's, That's four things he said. Meat, water, huh, sorry, out of way. Meat, honey, water, happy. Bro, those priorities are fantastic. I doubt he's upset the Wi-Fi isn't connecting. I doubt he's upset he didn't get into the college he wanted or did the, the girl he wanted. 
It's probably like, okay, there's three girls in the tribe that are of age and they're available. I'll pick that one. She's, she's good. She's strong. She's very strong. Sometimes she yells at me, but our marriage was okay. She had, we had kids. That's a different world, baby. Right? It's a different world. Meat, water, honey, happy. Are you a little bit envious? No, you like air conditioning, don't you? You like Walmart. You like Amazon Prime, baby. But you know what? He seems happier than us. Because just life, basic life itself is the best gig there is. Not the exact perfect life that you always wanted and always dreamed of that tortures you into unhappiness, ingratitude, and darkness of heart that makes your thinking and believing futile. And in your brain, you stop living in this, yes, Lord, you're so good and I trust you. And then it's, ah, he's better looking than me. I hate everything. What? What? Bro, what? He made more money than me. His car's cooler than me. Bro, what? Who? Let him do him. You do you. You know? So then he asked him the question, what happens when you die? What do you think the answer to that question? Well, this is the question they asked the tribe, the Hadza. What do you think? (laughs) They're not cannibals, if that's what we're implying. you You didn't mean that. You meant heaven would be meat, right? Yeah. But no, seriously, what do, you think the, what do you think their answer was? What happens when you die? You fertilize the ground. Now, that's true, though, isn't it? <laughs> this is what he said. Uh, we, he says, uh, we put the body in the ground. And you're like, whoa, we do too, but wow, you don't have to say it quite that blunt. Is there more? Yeah. We throw a huge celebration and feast. I go, okay, okay, all right, I got you. We dance and sing, and we pray. We pray that, we pray that they're finally free of all the troubles they had in this life. I said, oof, mm, come here. We have something in common, baby. I like you. Plus, I like meat and honey and water and happy Mm-hmm. So then he says, do, do you guys believe that in the afterlife you get to see your ancestors? Oh, yeah, of course. And we also hope they made it to heaven, but we don't know. We just don't know. Not so unlike us, are they? Maybe happier, though, and much better hunters. Yeah, well, here's what he's stressed about. How are we going to kill those baboons over there? They're smart, and they know we're coming. How are we going to kill them? <laughs> That's what he's thinking about. Not what's the Wi-Fi password. Interesting how, and here's my theory. Tell me what you think about this. In the passages that I read you, didn't you hear a theme that there's a danger to affluence? That when you get everything you always wanted, then you get complacent, forget the Lord, 
and start to worship and serve other gods. You spiritually begin to die when you get everything you want, when, you're li- when you don't have to fight to live, when everything's handed to you. Not only do you get fat physically, but you get fat spiritually. And you go, nah, whatever, the Lord. I'm all that in a bag of chips. I don't need that. But you put a big problem like the threat of imminent death in front of a human and suddenly life comes back up into like, I want to live. Life is important. I have a priority. Here we go. And you'd suddenly become a grateful person to just survive the night. Oh, man. Because life itself is actually like the best gig there is. You can go to Denny's for a hat. It's a serious. I'm serious. Life itself is a gift and something about just bare survival puts things into a royally clear perspective. Life unadorned is amazing. It's a priceless gift. It's a gift worth fighting for and there's good in life worth fighting for but things we often take for granted. Simple things we often take for, and we do take for granted. When I was a kid and I heard a preacher thank the Lord for the breath in our lungs and for a toothbrush, I was like, bro, What? I mean, if God handed me $1,000, I'd be grateful, but a toothbrush? Air? Yeah, air. Go down to the submarine, you'll start to appreciate it. Here's a quote. Let me, tell me what you think about this. It's going to say the word men instead of women, but I think that it's an old enough quote that men, women were included in the men. Did that make sense? It was back when they just said men instead of people. But I'm going to leave the quote as is because I think it sounds, it sounds manlier. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. We're living in good times that make weak men. And nobody's happy. Now, I'm exaggerating. There's, there's some people who are happy. Most people aren't happy because the Wi-Fi password don't work. Honestly, way more things that are just like that all over the place. We are living in good times and people don't think that we're living in good times. A couple hundred years ago, people were living in much harder times and they were much happier. No, they weren't. The infant mortality rate was this, this, and this. Bro, they were grateful. Lives were harder and they were grateful. Should I say the whole quote again? I said it slow. Hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. And so history cycles. And so on and so forth. Delete that from the audio. Douglas Robertson and his family were trying to go around the world in a little sailboat. And three killer whales 
mistook the sailboat for a baleen whale, which is a wonderful food source for them. And the bull of the orca group, killer whales are orca, same thing. Huge dolphins, black and white, you know. SeaWorld, remember this? Massive, incredible apex predators of the ocean. Super intelligent. I love orca. The bull of the group bashed into the underside of their sailboat, broke a hole in it. They were taken on water. He goes down into the hold where his dad is standing in water up to his ankles, and he's like, what is going on? And his dad says, we have to abandon ship. And the kid's like, what are you talking about, abandon ship? You just need to shut the thing that's letting in the water. What are you doing letting in the water? And he's like, it's lost. She's lost. The ship was called the Lucette. She's like, the Lucette's lost. They, throw, they, they inflate the inflatable raft. They throw the, the dinghy, which is like a nine-foot fiberglass little boat, over. They're trying to grab as many supplies as they can. They get the little kids into the boat because this is a family. They get the little kids into the boat. Mama's in the boat. Dad's in the boat. There's a guest with them they picked up at a port who knows nothing about sailing. Everyone's off. He's trying to get stuff. He, he's in the water, and the ship's going down, and it's, a, it's, it's chaos. He, he sees the inflatable raft, which has a yellow plastic cover over the top of it. He swims over to it after the thing is all gone down. And they see him and they go, oh my word, because it's like 15 minutes after the ship sinks. They thought he was dead. They're just like, you're alive, you made it. And they get in and the kids are crying and the mom's like, kids, no one died, we're all here. He's alive, you can stop crying. And they said, no, we're crying for the Lucette. It's our home. They've been living in this boat like nine months. Then they're like, what are we going to do? They're completely lost at sea. They didn't even get a radio call out before they sank. Endless ocean as far as the eye can see. No engine. No phone. Minimal food that they gathered in containers as the ship was going down. Minimal water. Hunger sets in fast. Thirst sets in faster. How will we not die? First, their hope was in what? Maybe somebody will save us. Bro, nobody knows you're gone. Nobody knows you. There's no GPS tracker. Not then. Now there would be, but not then. Day after day after day, finally, a ship, a ship. They have, a fl- they have flares. They shoot their flares. Nothing. Nothing. Like they, I think they wasted like five flares, this ship. Nobody saw a thing. Nobody heard a thing. Can you imagine that feeling of that ship heading, disappearing over the curvature of the earth? Yes, we do not live on a flat earth. And you're like, hope is lost. We are going to die. Some of y'all would have probably said that out loud. We're going to die. And then someone else in the group would say, please don't say that. I'll believe it, and I need to be thinking logically about how to not die. Here's from the description. Douglas Robertson wrote a book. He wrote a book. That's a clue that at least he didn't die, right? He wrote a book. I'm telling you the story. He wrote a book called Last Voyage of the Lisette. This is from the description. The Robertson family set sail from the south of England on their 43-foot schooner, the Lucette, which was holed by killer whales and sank in the Pacific Ocean. Four adults and two children survived the next 38 days adrift. First in a rubber life raft. They had their stuff in the, in the dinghy, pulling 
behind the life raft. In the life raft, there was water in it. It would float, but there was water in it. And if you put your head on the side, one of you could sleep. But if you fell asleep and you weren't the only person, there was only enough space for one of them to nap for about an hour at a time because the rest of them, when they fell asleep, their face would like fall in the ocean water. They were covered in boils because the skin couldn't get dry and that ocean water is just hard on you. You can't drink the ocean water. It dehydrates you. You die faster. We all know this. One of the kids says, I think I read somewhere that you can, you can drink turtle blood. The interviewer said, but turtles are endangered. And the guy said, I know that. We apologized and thanked every turtle we murdered. But they found a way to lasso any sea turtles that they saw with ropes and pull them close and bash them until their eyes went crooked. And then they'd pull them up into the, into the boat and find a way to capture and catch their blood as it bled out of their little necks, fat, big old necks. And, they, and can you imagine feeding turtle blood to your little kids saying, drink this. I don't want it. It's disgusting. Drink it or you're going to die. And you've had the difficulty of just giving your kids like cough medicine. And you're like, just take this. Stop vomiting. I want to sleep. Take it or I'll spank you. Can you imagine? Drink this turtle blood or you're going to die. And they did. And they didn't die. And they're like, then they break the turtle open and they're like, it's filled with meat and eggs. It's raw. So what are we going to do? They're smart. They figure out ways to dry it. They figure out ways to try to make do and make it last more than a few days. Because y'all know if you just put raw meat out on the countertop, it ain't going to last. What are you going to do, kill a turtle every day? That's not likely. They found a way to catch sharks. They found a way to cure meat. But they were just like, we're going to, the turtle blood wasn't enough to drink. What are we going to do? By the way, they're not even in clothes at this point. The clothes are ripped and tattered and gone. Bunch of naked people in the sun. Horrible. And they're, they're in the doldrums, which is an area where you would assume it's going to rain. Is it going to rain? And you, you know how the sky, you and I look at the rain and we go, oh, darn it, it's going to rain, unless we're a farmer. And we're like, oh, rain, that's an inconvenience. I got to go and walk through the rain into my house. <sighs> no, they're looking at the rain like, please rain or we'll die. This turtle blood is not enough. We are so dehydrated. And the, the, the big cloud forms. The wind changes. Come on, the wind changes. That's a good sign, guys. You know this. You can feel the wind. The wind is changing. The weather changes. Here we go. Nothing. The next day is just sun. Can you imagine just hating sunny days? Looking out and it's just sea. Endless ocean, endless sky. Three days later, it rained. They sang. They danced. You know what I mean. They rejoiced vigorously. You can't really dance, but you know what I mean. They're like, ah! Collect all the rainwater, and they're like, we might actually make it. We might actually live. Oh, my word. Because being alive, dude, it's honestly like the best gig there is. You can go to Denny's, wear a hat. And I thought, how is this not a movie? How is this not a movie? Chapter one, turtle blood. No, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And the guy said, each person had a contribution to make. Dad had the plan. My brother was the muscle. I was the counterbalance and the logic to Dad's 
sometimes horrible plans. The dad said, we're going to send you, and you're going to get in the little boat, and you're going to paddle that way, and you're going to reach help at shore. And he said, no, I'm not. I'll die. It'll never work. I would have to paddle with all my might just to fight against the current. Do you know where we are? I know where we are. We're here. Land is there. The current is this way. I would have to paddle with all my might to almost hold still. Dad, I would die, and then you would die. That's foolishness. Get a hold of yourself. He's like, it's the first time I ever confronted my dad, ever, in life. I'm like, well, that's a good time to start. He's trying to kill everyone with a... He goes, I'm sorry, you're right. I was panicking. He said, everyone had a role to play. Dad had the plan. My brother had the muscle. I had the counterbalance. Mom had the compassion and the empathy and the hope. He's like, I never realized until way later in my life how amazing my mom was. Not once did she take her turn to take a nap. She gave it to the kids every time. When you're a kid, you don't even think about stuff like that, the sacrifice mom makes. You don't even think about it. He's like, all these years later, what a woman. Amazing. He said, the guest, the guy who'd never gone on any sailing trips ever in his life, this was his maiden voyage, like, welcome to sailing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, never again. He said, that guy, he knew nothing. Do you know what he contributed? He told us stories. We were going crazy. And we'd say, hey, he had the gift of gab. Tell us about the time when you went to meet that guy at the train station and this thing happened. Tell us again? Yes, tell us the story. He said he would talk. He would tell us stories about the good things in life before we were shipwrecked because it almost seems like there's no such thing as life before or after. All there is is the panic of the now. And by telling us stories of good times, of things that had happened, it got us in our imagination to see how valuable life was and why we were fighting so hard to make it back. We started to dream. We started to plan a restaurant that we're going to open when we survive. When. Not when we're rescued. We gave up on that long ago. When we get back to land. And his stories gave us hope. And that gave us a will, and that kept us alive. They were down to like one final flare and a Japanese shipping boat, 38 days, I think I said earlier, 38 days into this ordeal, a Japanese shipping boat. They got that one flare. They light it. The guy holds it, his, his muscular brother holds the flare, and the The sparks and stuff is literally burning his hand, but he will not let go. And he's reached right at the end of the flare, and he can hold it no longer, and he tosses it away. The movement of the toss caught a sailor's eye. (laughs) Happened to be standing in the right part of the ship, looking in the right direction, that his peripheral vision could catch a thing going, enough to go, what is that? And when that ship turned course, they said, it can't be. It's too good to be true. We might, we're going to live? You mean we're going to live? They go to pull them on. Mom says, here's some tattered rags. Cover up your kibbles and bits, friends. <laughs> yeah, because she had thought ahead and preserved some fabric in case of rescue because she didn't want the indignity of them being rescued nude. Sounds like a mama again. Change your underwear in case you get in a car accident. Sounds like a mom. We don't need that streaky, embarrassing stuff. They take you into the ER. 
Sounds like a mom. Just looking out for you. And they pull them ashore, and guess what, guys? They couldn't let go of the food they had in that boat. They were too, this thing had, this mindset had gone on to them. They fought so hard for that food, that dried shark and that dried turtle and those, those turtle eggs and different things they had in there. And they were like, you're going to be able to save the, the dinghy, right? The nine-foot fiberglass boat, you're going to be able to save it, right? And they're like, we have food on our, on our boat. No, you, we need it. It's ours. Like, there's that complex of like, I, this has been my survival, so, oh, okay, fine. They found a way to pull the boat up and, and bring it with them. Now it's in a museum. You can go see it. Fun. Each person contributed is, is, is a, it's a big deal. Guys, if you think about it, and I think we should, planet Earth is, is our little nine-foot dinghy. And endless space around us is our ocean. And we, the people... The regular little folks just living regular little lives. We're the family. And we all have a part to play. And sometimes we might forget it. And sometimes we might start getting life out of order. But life itself is incredibly precious and valuable. It's worth fighting for. Just basic life. Not a special life. Not my perfect career. Not my relationships are all awesome. Not if I get that better house and that better TV. Or if my knee stops hurting. Or if she'll shut up finally and just be happy. No, no, no. Wouldn't you rather have her not shut up and not be happy and still have her? I would. (laughs) That wasn't... That was it meant to say that came out and then I said, Oh, I just it sounds like I'm whining about my wife. My bad, dog. My bad. I was just saying, people are a problem and a blessing. Everybody is. Everybody looks normal until you get to know them. Yeah, everybody's weird. So when somebody tells me something weird and then they're embarrassed, I just tell them you're normal. But life, just plain life, is so worth living. And you have a part to play in helping everyone else find that peace, that equilibrium, that gratitude, that place where we can stand and say, God's good. Life's a gift. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a blessed man. Problems, sure, yeah. Troubles, yeah. Heartaches, absolutely. Losses and crosses. Yep, but I'm a blessed man. We ate, we ate turtle eggs this morning. We drank some blood. We are looking at a blue sky and we are around people we love. This is amazing. I can't believe we made it this far. You have a part to play. You matter. God has a will for your life. You know this, right? God has a plan for every one of your life. And he wants to tell you what it is. He wants to lead you into it. But seek him. You got to seek him. And you go, yeah, but I can't hear him, and I'm too stubborn, and I messed up. He can talk so loud that even I can hear him. He can speak so clear that even you will recognize it. He knows all that. My mom, this kid, on, I, was, I fell in love with the story about the kid. I'm listening to the guy tell the story, and I go, and he gets to, everyone had a purpose. Even the guy who didn't know how to do nothing had a purpose. And I was like, but what was his purpose? And then he's like, he told us stories. And I was like, hey, that's my job. That's Tim. I'm here to tell the stories. Wow, I can't fix my car, but I can tell you a story. And that's something. I grew up with my mom reading 
Chronicles of Narnia and Tales of the Kingdom and the Bible. And my daughter Caroline, when I walk her home from school this last year, every day I would say, what are you reading now in class? And she'd say, well, now we're reading the autobiography of Roald Dahl and his dad was an alcoholic and he broke his arm and this happened and that happened. And I said, whoa. Every day she had a blow by blow. Story time. For some reason, story, listening to story is better than a movie. Weird, right? How many times have you watched a movie that you also read the book of and then you said, I, I really loved the book. The book changed my life. I bought an original copy, bought the whole thing, read it four times. The movie wasn't as good as the book. You know why I think that is? Oh. Tina says, because it leaves too much out. They're trying to cram something that took 20 hours to read into... 90 minutes? I also think they usually change the plots and betray you. You're like, I fell in love with that character, and now that character is a totally different person in your movie? How dare you? But I think it's this. How can, how can a movie compete with your imagination? And God has given us a Bible, and some people read the Bible like it's an instruction manual, and it's like, well, no wonder you're bored. It's the, it's the family stories to be told around the campfire. That's what the Bible is. And it's not necessarily supposed to always be explained as much as it is to be told. Because by hearing the story, you figure out who you are and what life means. What is the meaning of life? Uh, it's meat and honey and water, and then we're happy. And you go, no, the Bible helps tell a different story. It's man doesn't just live by meat alone. He has a Father in heaven who cares for him and who gives everything we need and walks with us in life and receives us as his children in death. If we'll just trust him. These are our stories. I'll finish with this. Uh, Whoever's going to be praying for people can come up here if you want. Samwise Gamgee and Frodo Baggins. Frodo's trying to carry this cursed ring to destroy it in Mordor, and it's such a hard road. It's so hard that he's full of despair. You guys know this story? Lord of the Rings, all this stuff, good stuff? No? Okay, well. This is a conversation. Frodo's ready to give up. He's absolutely feeling despair. And Sam says, it's all wrong. By all rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't even want to know the end of the story because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was after so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. And even darkness must pass and a new day will come. And when the sun shines out, it'll shine out even clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. They meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, that I do understand, and I now know. Folk in them stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't because they were holding on to something. Frodo says, What are we holding on to, Sam? That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, 
and it's worth fighting for. really is just being alive the best the best gig there is you can go to Denny's wear a hat whatever you want go ahead and stand father we thank you for this gift of life you are our provider you made us all things are from you Lord everything came from you you were you are and you will be Endless ages will not exhaust you. You do not tire. You do not slumber. You do not sleep. And you watch over us. Heaven and earth will wear out like an old garment and they will be replaced. But you remain unchanged, without age, without weakening. And your kingdom reigns forever. So we honor you as our source, the ground of our existence. And not just that, but you're our Father, our Father, our Father, our Father. We thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness, for your blood, for your resurrection. We thank you for eternal life. But we don't forget the simple things, our daily bread, breath in our lungs, a toothbrush the love of those around us who put up with us and we do with them. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we pray. Amen.